welcome in former NHLer Brian Conacher to the show. Good morning, Brian. Uh, welcome to Sports 1440. Thanks for coming on today. Good morning, Kevin. Well, you know, I called called you yesterday and said you got time to come on, and you said, "Yeah, let's give her, let's let's get her done." Uh, so, uh, you know, Brian, when I was kind of talking to Greg Pilling about you and, and having the possibility, he was, "Well, this is a perfect tie-in with the All Star Game because." You and a number of your teammates from the 1967 Stanley Cup champion Toronto Maple Leafs were recognized at the All-Star Game with the Keith Magnuson Award. What was that experience like for you? Well, it was a terrific experience uh, for for the seven of us remaining from the 67 Stanley Cup team. Uh, Frank Mahovlich, Bobby Pulford, Dave Keon, myself, uh, Ronnie Ellis, Peter Stemkowski and Mike Walton. And uh, as I said, somewhat facetiously, if this keeps up, I could be in the starting lineup. <laughs> but the, um, the, it was a great honor in, in the sense that the NHL Alumni Association, of which I was the, uh, the, the president for two or three years, several years ago, um, you know, represents all the former NHL players and um, and they have their annual dinner every year it just happened to coincide this year with the all-star game being in Toronto and as a result the NHL coordinated it with them on the first evening so it was a great honor it was uh, nice to see the the other players we had some good visits and uh, Ronnie Ellis uh, wasn't feeling well so he did not attend and Frank Mahovich had just had a knee operation on the on the Wednesday the day before so he wasn't mobile but uh, the five of us had a, had a good time, and it was uh, it was quite an honor to be uh, to be recognized. And the other part of that coin is, though, after 56 years, there should have been a team they've been recognizing that was maybe 10 years had won the Stanley Cup or 25 years. But 56 years is a long time. It sure is. As Brian Conacher is our guest uh, on Sports 1440, does that always get brought up with you, Brian? And when you're doing all these events, the fact that you know the Leafs haven't won since you were a part of it in '67. Yeah, no, I think uh, I, I think it does get brought up a lot, and uh, as I've said again, somewhat facetiously, my career gets better with each year. Um, it just it just seems to um, gnaw on the people, and it is hard to believe, really, for any sports franchise. I don't know whether it's a record by any stretch; it might not be, but it's certainly, I think, in the NHL, it is. I think the New York Rangers went some like 50 years without winning a Stanley Cup, and I think Mark Messier was a big part of breaking that cycle and um, but the bottom line is um, the Leafs have had lots of good players over the years I think uh, in reality enough to win several Stanley Cups but for one reason or the other um, it just hasn't happened Mm -hmm. and winning the Stanley Cup today is not an easy thing it's um, a lot more difficult than it was in our day uh, I was had the good fortune of playing in the literally the last game in the original six when we beat Montreal uh, for the Stanley Cup in '67. Uh, but the the league has changed, the game has changed, the uh, the four playoff series are are truly another potentially another season of a maximum of 28 games, and it's quite a different scenario physically and mentally in the playoffs over what it is in the regular season. Hmm. Brian Conacher with us on Sports 1440. We had so many topics to cover with you, Brian, because you're so diverse in the game of hockey. I, I, I guess I want to start before you won the Stanley Cup and your experience with the 1964 Olympic team. What was that like for you? Well, that, that again was a unique experience. Um, 
My father, uh, Lionel Conacher, was Canada's athlete of the first half century, and he had done just about everything in sport. And, but I remember my mother saying, and my father died in 1954 uh, when I was only 12 years old. <clears throat> but when I had the opportunity in 19, summer 1963, I was invited by Father Bauer to join this, uh, this, this team that they were going to put together for the 64 Olympics. And um, my mother said, well, your father did almost everything there was, virtually everything there was in sports except go to the Olympics. And I had uh, an opportunity to do that. And I just thought I didn't want to look back in 20 or 30 years and say I wished I had of. Um, so I got involved with the program right at its foundation. And uh, we went in 64 in Innsbruck, Austria. And we got gypped out of a medal, um, as, as simple as that. The Soviets, uh, uh, I think, deservedly, they beat us in the final game, 3-1, to one, I think, the score, and they deserved to win the gold medal. But there were three teams, ourselves, um, I think Sweden and Czechoslovakia, were all tied with 5-2 and two records. You played, there was eight teams in the, uh, in the gold medal round, and uh, there, there was three of us that were tied with 5-2 and two records. And during... The third period of that game, the International Ice Hockey Federation with Bunny O'Hearn, IOC with Avery Brundage, changed. Oh, we might have lost Brian, Duke. Do we still have him? We'll try to get Brian back on the line. He just, I think we just might have lost him for a second. So, uh, amazing career, Brian Conacher, before... Uh, he got to the NHL. He was at the, uh, as he mentioned, with uh, Father David Bauer at the 1964 uh, Winter Olympics. It was in Innsbruck, Austria, as as he was saying. And just the fact that, um, the, the, as he said, they were both five and two records. Uh, several teams at five and two records, and the IOC. Who knows what was going on? But uh, Brian, can you hear me now, Brian? Have we got you back? I can hear you now. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. So just kind of uh, get back to where you were with all the teams with five and two records in, uh, at Innsbruck and continue on, please. Well, so we we ended with five and two records, and uh, I might be repeating myself, but uh, I'm not sure where it cut yeah. off. But um, in the third period of that final game, um, Bunny Ahern, who was the head of the mm-hmm. I, uh, International Ice Hockey Federation, and Avery Brundage, who was the head of the Olympic uh, organization, um, they changed the rules and they decided they were going to break the tie for the gold or the silver medal um, by goals for and against. Well, when you go into a tournament, I mean, there was a couple of games. There was one game we won eight nothing. I mean, we could have won it ten nothing, and that would have made the difference. Yeah. Like. It just, that wasn't the game. That wasn't what the rules were. The rules were you had to win or lose. And um, so we went to the medal ceremony on the ice expecting to get a silver or bronze medal. And we got to thank you very much for coming. So we ended up in fourth place by goals for and against. So the experience was somewhat soiled and remains so, I guess, to this day. But uh, the actual participation in the Olympics and the development, and if I had not played for Father Bauer on that team, I don't think I ever would have made the NHL. Hmm. Brian Connor, amazing story, Brian, of your uh, experience at the uh, Winter Olympics in 64. So after the Stanley Cup and uh, then you do some a little bit of coaching in the minors, you end up going into to management in the WHA in Indianapolis, and then you come to Edmonton. So how did that all come about for you? 
Well, I have to take a quick uh, note. Hopefully you have the time. But yeah? but uh, when you said I coached in the minors, I coached in the minors against Greg Pilling, <laughs> our, our mutual okay. friend. Yeah, okay. And Greg coached in Philadelphia, and he was one of the most creative coaches I've ever uh, I've ever seen. So his one of his favorite tricks, and he did it on my team several times, is that they would get a penalty or late in the game. Um, what they'd do is if they were down a goal, he would pull his goalie, <laughs> but he would put two players on. So the referees are sitting there, and, and quite often they scored. And so while the referee is trying to count um, whether there's too many men on the ice, they quite often scored. And the second they scored, the whole team went on the ice. So it was impossible to count. And I always uh, I remember that to this day. I always thought he was one of the most innovative coaches, and he was a good coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've kept in touch over the years. Yeah. Pill's a great guy, and, and he facilitated this, yeah. So uh, after your coaching, and then you get into the, I guess, management end of the things with the WHA in Indianapolis and then Edmonton. So just kind of uh, take us through that process and, and well, that time. I was involved with the, uh, the Oilers. I think it was in 77 or 78. It was the year before Gretzky. My timing's always been perfect in hockey. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyways, I came to Edmonton when the Indianapolis Racers didn't look like they were going to operate that year, and I had been their general manager for that season, and they were in financial trouble. And I, I was at a point in my life I wanted, I was in my mid-30s, I wanted to, had an opportunity to come back to Canada. I was hired by Nelson Scalabania, and Glenn Sather was hired by Peter Pockington. Mm-hmm. And um, in the course of the, the chaos that existed in the WHA, um, Peter Pockington ended up being the main guy in Edmonton, and Glenn was affiliated with him. And my my relationship was primarily through Nelson as the general manager. And that part of it, uh, the rest of that is is, is history. But um, I um, I enjoyed uh, my brief stay with the Edmonton Oilers. The the interesting thing about the WHA in hindsight is that the whole league defied financial gravity, like it never. It, like it didn't make any sense. Yeah. I think the, the 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 modus operandi for the league was to promise the players anything, and if we survive, we'll pay them, and if we don't survive, well, you know that's that. Right. And of course, there was a lot of casualties along the way, and a lot of teams that um, that fell by the wayside. But it changed hockey. The, the 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 creation of the World Hockey Association was a little bit like the American Football League that tried to force its way into the National Football League and, and, and ultimately successfully did so. And the WHA was some, to some degree like that. The four teams that got in, um, you know, basically forced their way in because th- the one thing about the WHA was it changed a, a lot of the style of hockey when it brought in the Europeans. And, they, and the WHA was the first to bring in Europeans, and, um, and they were good. And they created a lot of that circling and a lot of that their cycling and a lot of the, uh, the motion, a lot more motion than there was in the, in the North American game, which was really a north-south game and very rugged. And, uh, but it became um, a different style of hockey, and it's evolved to what it is today. But the, the WHA, at the end of the WHA, there were certainly two or three teams in the WHA that were every bit as good as the NHL. So when they fitted together, certainly the Edmonton Oilers are a prime example and the Winnipeg Jets are as well. Brian Conacher, our guest on Sports 1440, uh, he had so many characters. Glenn Sather was the coach on that team in uh, 78 or 77, 78. 
I was texting Al Hamilton yesterday, uh, Brian, just to kind of talk about things and 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 uh, moving forward. But you know, Al Hamilton, Bill Cowboy Flett was on the team, and uh, Dave Semenko was a young player. Just uh, your thoughts and what do you remember? Just uh, kind of the infancy stages, and as you said, Wayne Gretzky came the next year. Yeah, well, uh, an interesting player in that team was Dave Semenko. Um, Dave Semenko was a pretty good hockey player, a better hockey player than I think a lot of people gave credit for. Um, but, you know, he was um, Wayne Gretzky's guardian angel. And, um, you know, you didn't fool around with Wayne. And, and Wayne was capable of taking care of himself. He'd come up through a major junior. So, you know, he knew what the game was about. But uh, Semenko, you know, I remember a story. They had um, a boxing promoter in Edmonton in the summer one of the summers, a couple mm-hmm. of summers after um, they got they got into the NHL or whatever, and they in the summertime, Muhammad Ali had retired, yeah. and they had an exhibition boxing match, three or four round boxing match with Dave Semenko and Muhammad Ali yeah. <laughs> in uh, in Edmonton, and you were probably doing the broadcasting <laughs> at that time as well, and no. you know Dave Semenko was, I mean, he could have been the great white hope because he was he was um, quite a quite a physique and. And very skilled. So when you fought against Dave Semenko, he knew what they were doing or what he was doing, and that uh, he was um, he he truly uh, was a valuable part of that team. Brian Conacher with us on Sports fourteen forty Stanley Cup champion with the Toronto Maple Leafs in nineteen sixty seven GM of the Edmonton Oilers. Did you know Brian? There was uh, only ten technically GMs in in Edmonton Oilers history, and you're one of them. Like going back to to Bill Hunter in seventy one. Yeah, well, I, I knew there there haven't been a lot over the years. I think that when um, when Glenn got in to uh, to take over um, in the, in the, the year, like I was there for one year, and then Glenn came in, and of course uh, there was a lot of stability there. They had a great team, things were all stable, so there was no need to change. Uh, nowadays, um, you can't seem to fire the players, so <laughs> it's always management that gets um, the hevo. Yeah. Uh, one area that I really wanted to talk about, Brian, was in 1972, uh, and maybe not a lot of people uh, know that, but you were the color commentator for the Summit Series in 1972 with Foster Hewitt. So uh, that just had to be one of the highlights and one of the most amazing uh, uh, experiences that of your hockey uh, career, even on the ice or away from it. Well, uh, that again is another uh, unusual uh, story, is that um, I had played for Canada Reunited a National Team briefly in 1969, and they were supposed to host the World um, Championships in Winnipeg. And the, the rule had been adjusted that five former professionals could play, and I was one of those, Billy Harris, uh, Barry McKenzie, uh, and a couple of other players from the Montreal organization. And so we played uh, in the fall, and we went to the Izvestia tournament in Moscow in December of that year. And we, um, we came in second place, and we had a good showing. And so going down the road a little bit, um, the, the, the Russians uh, went to the IOC and said, you know, they wouldn't play hockey against if there was any professionals on their team, et cetera, et cetera. That's a whole different story. But the bottom line is Canada was out of international hockey. So the Canada didn't come back in until 70, the fall of 72, when Eagleson was able to negotiate with the Russians. I had played international hockey. 
I had uh, played against the foundation of that Team Canada 72 Soviet team. Mm -hmm. And I was also in broadcasting at CKLW in Windsor uh, doing TV sports. So what I had sort of the thing, the NHL did not want, or, this, or the, uh, the, the NHL, who was dead against the series, in, in essence, didn't want anybody from Hockey Night in Canada uh, on the series. So Johnny Esau from CTV, who got the rights, he went after Foster Hewitt, who had been long retired, but was still probably the most recognizable uh, broadcasting voice in hockey. And I was chosen by them to be the color because... I'd had the experience uh, of playing against a lot of these teams and had played against uh, the Europeans. So that's ultimately how I got hmm. I got the job. Uh, but th the problem with the job is the NHL didn't really want me doing the color because I had written a book in 1970 that was somewhat critical of the NHL's operations. Hmm. And um, But Alan Eagleson... Um, and and a few other people, you know, stuck to their guns. And anyways, I went and did the series with Foster, the four games in Canada and the four games in Moscow. And it was a unique experience. Yeah. The interesting thing about that, that series is that, that Team Canada was a good team, and it didn't become a team until very late in the series where it really melded together, not unlike our 67 Stanley Cup team, mm -hmm. who had a very troubled regular season, but all of a sudden came together in the playoffs. Um, but it was, uh, you know, uh, Bobby Hull wasn't on the team and potentially a Dave Key on the, uh, there was players there that you could have thought. And Bobby, Bobby Orr, unfortunately, was hurt and not able to play. So while the series was close, it, it might not have been as close um, if some of those other players had been available. Could you feel, Brian, that just the the temperature rising from the start, where everyone thought Canada was it was going to be a cakewalk for Canada, and then you know getting to Russia and and you know just communism, you know free world, the whole bit. Yeah. There were so many storylines there. You, I'm sure you could feel it just from day one. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because the, the series started in one place. Uh, where Canada was, you know, the, the Soviets would be lucky if they won a game. Mm -hmm. And it was heresy for anybody. Billy Harris, who had coached uh, the Swedish national team the year before in the Olympics, he knew how good the Soviets were. And Billy and I had played briefly together on uh, Canada's national team in 69. And we had played against the foundation of this of that team. So we knew how good they were. But it was heresy to say everybody thought the NHL would just wipe them off. You know, that at best the Soviets might be a decent American Hockey League team, but they, they certainly weren't up to playing against the NHL. And, of course, on that night in uh, Montreal, in that first game, uh, hockey that night changed forever yeah. when the Soviets came into Montreal, into the Forum, and beat the, uh, the, the, the Canadian team. I can't remember. I think it was 7-2. I'm not sure mm -hmm. what the score was, but it was big. And... Um, Nothing was ever the same after that. And then Team Canada had to put their nose to the grindstone uh, to stay in the series and ultim ultimately prevail. What did you, were you up in the broadcast booth in Vancouver still when Phil Esposito made his speech or where were you? Yeah, we, yeah. I was right there with Foster right at uh, above center ice. And uh, at the beginning, I thought that they were uh, uh, like we couldn't understand the, the, the booing. We thought they were booing the Soviets. And uh, and jeering them when it first started because the the crowd was quite noisy, and um, it wasn't until you, you you really dawned on you that they weren't uh, 
They weren't booing the Soviets. They were booing Canada. Yeah. And I think Phil Esposito, like if, if I look in hindsight of the series, I, I, uh, not, to, not to downplay the importance of Paul Henderson's goals, yeah. but I sort of think there wasn't any goals. If you go back and look in the score sheets, I think that Phil Esposito was the heart and soul of that team. Yeah. And I think at times he carried that team on his back. Uh, Paul Henderson clearly scored the glory goals. Um, but uh, Phil Esposito, um, you know, was the guy that created a lot of them. And if you even go back to the final goal, um, Esposito was involved. And he had scored the goals that put them in the position to uh, win that game 6-5. to five. So it, uh, but, but clearly the team became Team Canada in those last couple of games when it was really an uphill slug to win that tournament. And, uh, but they prevailed. And and Ivan Cornway was great too. Well, a lot of players uh, were were great. There's no question. Uh, at the end of the day, um, you know th- that's what a team is. You know, it was interesting uh, going full circle coming back to the '67 team. Um, we had a terrible regular season. It was very disjointed. We had a, a group of very veteran players: uh, Johnny Bauer, Terry Sawchuk, Alan Stanley, um, Bobby Bond. These older players. And then we had a group of young players, Mike Walton, Ronnie Ellis, uh, Peter Stimkowski, myself, uh, Jimmy Pappen. And it didn't fit until the end. And then all of a sudden, in about 10 games to go in the season, it fitted together. And as I said to somebody when I, I was on the air a couple of days ago, said that it's not always the best team in the regular season that wins the Stanley Cup. It's the team that plays the best in the Stanley Cup that wins. And we were a perfect example of that. Montreal and Chicago were two really good hockey teams, mm-hmm. clearly the best two teams in the regular season. But in the playoffs, um, we were able to prevail against both of them. Well, this has just been a wonderful conversation, Brian. I know you got a big luncheon to go to. That's uh, why we're going to cut things short here. But do you do a lot of appearances and stuff like that still to kind of you know represent the, the Leafs and things like that in Toronto? Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm long gone. I'm a full-time grandparent. I've got uh, two 15-year-old uh, teenage boys and a granddaughter of 17 who's a skier. Mm-hmm. And um, I spend most of my time with my grandkids. Well, I, I just had a... This was wonderful for me looking back. At, I mean, the Leafs in 67, but in 72, and, and then your time here. Just uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, best of luck to, to everything. Good health, and uh, thanks for coming on. Really Kevin, my it. pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah.